live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Derek Addis, Democrat Peter Hanna, semi-Republican Charles Lipsom, and Republican C. Stephen Tucker. <laughs> our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8029. That's 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. You can join us on the World Wide Web audio and video, whether you get the, get the show live or on delay, it's beyondthebeltway.com. That's where you find our version of, of, a, of a podcast. And also, we are live on Facebook, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. And again, we're getting more and more people uh, listening and watching us on Facebook. So it's nice to have you with us. As well, of course, America's great radio stations are from coast to coast and Sirius and XM satellite radio. So it's, uh, we're pretty hard to miss, but nice to have you with us tonight. Uh, this afternoon, Amy Klobuchar, who is the uh, senior senator from Minnesota, uh, she threw her hat in the presidential ring, as was expected, and uh, she did not do the fancy uh, rally uh, inside with thousands of people. She decided to go outside uh, in February uh, in, in the great state of Minnesota, and again, it was quite a picture, and uh, we're going to take a look at that picture, and for those listening so on radio, we will hear what Senator Klobuchar said this afternoon in announcing her candidacy for President of the United States. So today, on an island in the middle of the mighty Mississippi, in our nation's heartland, at a time when we must heal the heart of our democracy and renew our commitment to the common good, I stand before you as the granddaughter of an iron ore miner, as the daughter of a teacher and a newspaper man, as the first woman elected to the United States Senate from the state of Minnesota, to announce my candidacy for President of the United States. Well, that is going to be one of the most memorable uh, backdrops for announcing for president. I remember that uh, when Barack Obama announced for president in Springfield, Illinois, it was about four degrees out. It was bitter cold. And so uh, at least there's a comparison with that. But uh, Derek Ennis, you're, you're, uh, I described you as an independent but you, or a Democrat, but you're more of an independent. You're yes. certainly progressive. Um, uh, where does Amy Klobuchar fit into the big, big picture as you see it for 2020 for Democrats? Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I know little about her. I mean, I know there's a, a lot that others do know about her, but I think that speaks to who exactly she is positioned in that race, right? Mm-hmm. So the Washington elite and the knows of the knows, they will know who she is, but I think that a lot of people don't, and so she has a lot, uh, a lot to go to be a household name for that. Let know? me ask uh, our other Democrat, Peter Hanna. Peter, nice to have you back. Thanks for having me. Uh, what's your uh, take on Amy Klobuchar and where she fits into the big Democratic field? You know, I think it it is a big field. Um, I think Senator Klobuchar is uh, obviously uh, one of one of several good choices, and it's nice to have a, a fifth female candidate. Um, you know, who's thrown her hat in the ring. Um, I think that the uh, sort of the center of the candidates who have announced and, and may announce is a little bit farther to the left than uh, Senator Klobuchar, and I think that the primary season is going to 
kind of elicit those differences, and, and we'll see where it shakes out. Would you agree that uh, all the progressive or the very progressive candidates could basically kill each other off, split the vote, and uh, it opens up an opportunity for more of a, of a centrist or a moderate? Potentially, but I think there's actually, you know, it's, there's, I'd say there's parity between the uh, centrist candidates and the more progressive ones. You have, you know, Joe Biden likely to put his hat in the ring. Kamala Harris, many people believe, is more centrist than the other folks who have been out there. Um, and there are still others who are rumored to be announcing soon who I think also fit that centrist mold. But I think it'll be a, a lively primary uh, for sure. Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. Uh, I've described you as a semi-Republican. I didn't want to describe you as a Republican because they might not have let you back on campus tomorrow. So I, I, I where I come I, from, Bruce, I, I a semi-Republican drives a, an eighteen-wheeler. <laughs> uh, what's your take on uh, on the center? A graduate from the University of Chicago, University of Law Chicago School? Law School. Right. Uh, I had thought that she was very well positioned until I began to see the news stories over the past week about how. Uh, the people who work with her just can't get out of there fast enough. She's got the third highest turnover of staff in the in the Senate. There are stories about just genuine cruelty uh, to staffers, throwing uh, a binding book and hitting a staffer, things like that. And that then brings you, it raises a question about whether she has any administrative experience. You're going to be running the largest organization in the world by a large amount. At this point in a campaign, though, uh, with obviously all candidates having opposition research on someone, mm-hmm. feeding stories like that to the right. national media even before she announces, that is part of the uh, of the messing messing up of her candidacy. Would you agree with that, Stephen Tucker, who's I would, a Republican? Yeah. I would, yeah. I, I'm actually excited to see her, and I want 16, 17 of them on a stage like we had for the Republicans. Yeah. I want AOC, <clears throat> another odd communist, yeah. to be the spokesperson for all of them. And I just want to have fun watching the president just knock them all down like bowling pins. But did, but does Klobuchar represent anything does she stand out in any way? Obviously, you know, you've said, you know, that, really, that she's, she's had tr- trouble with staff, which again was something that was said of Hillary Clinton and has been said of a lot of women who run for office. You generally don't hear that too much about men being too task of taskmasters. Well, it's possible that there's uh, that there's more than a touch of of sexism in it. I think that the that the bigger issue here is going to be, as was said in the last Republican primary, but turn out to be wrong, whether there's going to be a couple of tracks, like a left track, a progressive track, and one candidate comes out at the head of that, perhaps Kamala Harris, who knows, uh, and then a, centri- a more centrist track, perhaps Joe Biden, perhaps Amy Klobuchar. It, they have to position themselves. That's what people thought. But then remember the last two standing in the Republicans were uh, Cruz and uh, Trump, and they were very much on the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but again, some have already described the look in the Democratic. It's really there's five lanes. There, I mean, there's a Hispanic lane. There's now an, an openly gay lane. There's 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 the, the black women. There's Cory Booker. I mean, it's basically there's there's something for every mix. There's a yeah, senator well, from New York. Well, I mean, I I would characterize that entirely differently. I would say it's one really wide lane, and I think that's like the. <laughs> The Democratic or, as I feel, like the humanist platform where, you know, we don't really care what you are, what you love, who you want to be, what you look like, none of that. It's like 
do you want good for good people? Are you talking about the Democratic Party? Everything about the Democratic Party <laughs> is identity <laughs> politics. That's I correct. don't see how you can make that claim. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, again, he misrepresented me as a Democrat <laughs> from the beginning. I, yeah. I am an independent thinker, and I do uh, use that, right? And so I do agree with you. I, I yeah. do not like identity politics. So I don't like when people champion one thing that they are because it takes uh, it takes away from what everyone else isn't, right? And so. I'm with you on that. But at the same time, you have to agree that it's a lot more inclusive as a party than the Republicans are. No, oh, I disagree. We want everybody. We have a very big tent in the Republican Party. I didn't you want, want everybody, you. but do you get everybody? No, not everyone, but we got enough to win. Okay. Back shortly from Chicago, 1-800-723-8210. If you want to weigh in on Amy Klobuchar or anybody else, give me a call. But when we come back, we're going to look at the Commonwealth of Virginia. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth, and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We're going to talk about uh, what's been going on for the last couple of weeks in the Commonwealth of Virginia with uh, calls for uh, Governor Northam to uh, resign. And uh, virtually everyone running for president has asked him to step down because they feel he's a Democrat, uh, an embarrassment, a walking embarrassment. And uh, much of the national media has decried his actions, uh, appearing allegedly appearing in blackface uh, in his yearbook. That uh, It was in the yearbook. He says he's not the guy, but... Uh, one one wonders about that. Um, but the big question actually came out yesterday is, what do the people of Virginia think? And uh, there's some interesting statistics. According to, this is about whether or not Governor Northam should resign. 47 say, yes, he should resign. 47% say, stay right where you are. If you break that down by race, uh, whites want him to resign. 48% of the whites want him to resign. Forty-six percent say stay right where you are. And African-Americans, 37 percent say resign. Fifty-eight percent say stay. Now, again, we had the issue with with the governor. That was our big discussion last week on this program. And this week we have the issue of the lieutenant governor who's been charged with two uh, sexual assaults. So he's in trouble. He's an African-American lieutenant governor. And then you have the attorney general who, after blasting the governor for wearing blackface, it turned out that he wore blackface, and he acknowledged that. So this is an absolute mess. Charles, you're, you're the man of the South here tonight. What do you make of West Virginia? I have never, Virginia, rather. never worn blackface <laughs> and uh, well I'd this like, yearbook photo i uh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> just kidding uh, 
<laughs> so I posted on my Facebook page that I'm number 823 in line for the Virginia governorship, which <laughs> makes me next, <laughs> and that they are simply picking randomly from the U.S. population now. So what happened? I thought what I happens? looked at those statistics where it looks as if blacks are much more in favor of the governor staying, but I don't know that it actually means that. The other statistics are not broken out by party. Mm-hmm. And so if you looked at what percentage of whites, uh, Virginian, white Virginians, wanted the governor to stay, the number uh, of Democrats, the percentage of Democrats might look pretty similar to that for African Americans. I can tell you this. Actually, the, 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 yeah. this poll is broken down. Uh, by by a political party, I, I just yes. didn't put okay. it. Okay, but so I'm just saying, if you look at those, I would say this: it, they've got a really serious problem beyond everything that we've <clears throat> talked about, which is Democrats cannot win statewide races almost anywhere unless they not only get all the black vote but get a good turnout among blacks. And if they kick out the lieutenant governor but not others who are being accused, even though the accusations are very different. Right. It, it will create a real problem for them in terms of the African-American constituency right. there. I, I think but there is also a due process issue here. I think the accusations are very credible. The people have nothing, uh, it seems, to, to gain. gain. Right. And there, there were contemporaneous statements that these things happened. Peter's our attorney. Uh, Peter, uh, what's your take on what should happen to the lieutenant governor? Two women have now come forward and said that that they that he was sexually assaulted them. You know, I'll say I'll say what I said when um, uh, Dr. Ford stepped forward um, to speak up about what um, you know uh, now Justice Kavanaugh had allegedly done. I think these women must be heard. I think we're at a point, a uh, critical point in time, where we need to destigmatize women coming forward with, you know, mm-hmm. credible allegations of sexual assault and uh, sexual misconduct. And I think in uh, Justin uh, Fairfax's case, the lieutenant governor, um, I think the FBI should heed his request. He has requested that the FBI investigate the allegations. And, I mean, right now I don't know, like, none why of us— Why the FBI? Well, that's what he called for specifically. Right. Yeah. I but would, why? I, I, he, he wanted the same thing that Kavanaugh got. But I would, I would take any sort of police, credible law enforcement investigation into, the, uh, into those allegations and put that in front of the public and put that in front of the uh, Virginia legislature. He has a right to confront his accusers, doesn't absolutely, he? Absolutely. Eric, he does, yeah, well, I would say, okay, so in the military, as a commander, uh, not me, but saying as a commander, if your commander loses faith in your ability to command, then you are relieved of duty, whether you've done something wrong or not. Mm. It is, it is unjustly unfair, I will agree, that we do not have time for due process for these individuals if it is deemed that they are no longer fit to lead, to govern in the capacity that they have been elected to do so now, then unfortunately they should stand aside. Deemed by whom? By either the public polling or the individuals around them. You don't make policy decisions and take people out of their out of office by public polling. Or Donald Trump would be. These are elected well, we officials. put them in with public polling, do we not? They're not. No. That's actually Meaning voting. We put them in voting. with a vote. Right. Right. Voting. Right. That's what I mean. Put so he could be voting, voted right. okay. out later, but you can't take right. a public poll and bump them out. I would love that because Donald Trump's his approval rating is fifty-five percent. Steve, but does, does, does Governor Northam still have an ability to govern, in your view? 
Uh, it doesn't really matter because he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the truth is... And he says he's not resigning. Correct. If they apply the same standard to him, that'll apply to the lieutenant governor, the third in line. And if they take the three of those out, guess who's next in line? Republican. We can't have that in Virginia. So he's not going anywhere. And the, and the uh, Democrats have said that would overturn the will of the people, but we don't vote by parties. We vote for individuals. Now, you may say, I always vote a Democrat or I always vote a Republican, but it's not clear why that overturns the will of the people. It won't happen. There's just no way have, that the Democrats have, are going to turn over there. We have a mechanism in the Virginia Constitution and the U.S. Constitution and most to take out someone, um, and that's impeachment. And I think the Virginia legislature has said they're looking but into... But it's apparently quite uh, hard but, to do. Yeah, but is, but, but it's so far as impeachment, uh, the crimes, I mean really crimes involved with, uh, with the lieutenant governor, I mean those to me would be impeachable. I mean, but, it needs bad, to... but the bad decisions of the governor wearing blackface, whether he did or did not, he's denied it. Right. But if people think that he did it. Well, he made I it mean, to wearing it one time, right? Right, well, yeah, because. He's denying it after he said it. Right? But that's not, not in that office. An impe- that's yeah. not an impeachable. Well, look, no, and, and what I would have. I I'm sorry, cut you off. What I would rather have happened and what would have made me feel like he still had the ability to lead would for him to come out and say, you know what? I can't say whether that's me in there or not, I, but I was a part of these things when I was younger. I, I was. I have. I am a changed person now. You can see it by my record of the things that I've done legislatively. Then we could have gone from there. That's why he says he's going to stick around. He, he says I'm sticking I, I around, we can, and I'm going to make life better for African Americans. We can probably it's all important. agree that the way he handled it has yeah. been awful. Yeah, it's it's also it been worse. He could have done the, the moonwalk. He, he could have actually. Done I just wish he had done that. It's important. No, I mean, it's important <laughs> to remember how scurrilous the ads that groups supporting him ran against Gillespie. Oh, now I'll grant you God. that Gillespie. The fact that Gillespie's people didn't find all of this is just malpractice politically. But they. They ran an ad with a a pickup truck Mm -hmm. that had a Gillespie sticker on it and a Confederate flag trying to run down and presumably murder young Mm African-American kids. In fact, it was saying, if you're only racist, support Gillespie. And so I think that that puts Northam in a very... uh, It's just sleazy. How does does this... this, How does this play against the context of Charlottesville, which was one of the worst moments of the last certainly two years, which conceivably and I think still is an issue for a lot of people in this country? Mm -hmm. By Northrum being there, doesn't it completely dilute that issue as a political issue? It, uh, It, first of all, what happened in Charlottesville was not only horrendous, it was compounded by the President of the United States' inability to say clearly yeah. that it was horrendous instead of saying sort of on the one hand, on the other hand. Yeah. It was just dreadful. The real issue is going to be which, when you get to a general election, who, first of all, you're not going to have a Democratic Party that can mobilize voters in Virginia. And secondly, who's going to want to appear, if you're a Democrat, alongside yep. any of the statewide officers? It's, it's, it's tough right. for any, any Democratic presidential candidate, if you've called for the resignation of the governor, to show up there mm-hmm. in the next couple of years if he stays there. I agree. And, what, and, and, they, and Virginia's an important state. It used to be a swing state, but it's now a Democratic state. I was going to say what Charlottesville and this episode of <clears throat> North from show is that the um, 
the structural racism that's in place in Virginia and a lot of the, the old Jim Crow states is, is still there. It's still there. I mean, the ghosts of it are still there. And you're right. It's going to affect both parties, is, I think, moving forward. Is, is wearing blackface in and by itself, is that racist? I mean, he has argued that, first of all, he, he's denied that he's in the picture. Why it's on his... Why it's on his yearbook page? And his I name was Coon Man. And, and uh, nickname. Well, nickname was Coon Man. Right. Well, what I'm just saying is that oh, he God. has now his public life is he's been very gregarious. He's very liberal on certainly on, on on race issues. If that's in your background, is there an ability to overcome that and be the world's greatest? supporter of civil rights if, what you, does everybody if think you admit that? it if you front it and you say look i was a different person then i made a lot of mistakes this was one that i've been you know trying to atone for for x number of years and you know I, i'm gonna do these 10 things to then maybe but that's not what he's done um and yeah to answer your and initial that's question not what, that's not what senator robert bird of west virginia did he no. was an he was he was a leader of the ku klux yep. klan in oh, west yeah. virginia he never had this maya copa mm-hmm. but he just Suddenly he got elected, and then everybody forgot his background, except Republicans, and he got elected, what, six or seven times. Mm-hmm. But yes, wearing blackface is unequivocally racist, um, in my opinion. In 1985, and certainly yes. certainly today. Certainly today. In 1985 yes. as well. Sir, Al Jolson, Al Jolson, and he- Amos and Andy, all of these iconic entertainers of the 20th century. Well, except for Joy Behar. If you're Joy Behar, you can keep your job. Get away with that. We'll come back to that as well. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We've got a great panel this evening and we're going to let them introduce themselves. And we'll begin with Peter Hanna. Hi there. My name is Peter Hanna. I'm an attorney focusing on technology law, civil liberties law, constitutional law. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor of law at Chicago Kent, um, and I'm really happy to be here today to talk with these guys. Charles Lipson. I am an emeritus professor of political science focusing on international politics at the University of Chicago, where I've just completed writing another book on international politics, and I also write op-eds for Real Clear Politics. Derek Addis. Yeah, I'm Derek Gaddis. I'm an MBA candidate at DePaul. Uh, I'm an Iraqi war veteran, uh, and I'm a professional communicator, which means that uh, I try to have conversations with people of differencing opinions so that we can understand we all essentially want the same things. Now, tell the audience how we met. 
because I don't oh. think I said that the last time. You, you did not. Uh, Bruce and I, uh, we were at, it was a Fontaine's or what is Fontana it? Subs. Fontana's. I was there with another friend of mine. You see. And uh, we're UI, just sitting UIC. there and I saw this gentleman, you know, enjoying his sandwich all, all, all by himself. And we <laughs> sparked up a conversation. And by the end of the conversation, he said, this is who I am. And I'd like to you to come and uh, be a part of the show. That's great. So, That's yeah, great. I much appreciate Very good. Well, it was, it was yeah. a fun conversation. Uh, and the ever popular... C. Stephen Tucker. Yes, sir. 23-year license, health insurance broker, conservative, Republican, not by choice Republican, but by necessity, and grateful Trump supporter. And do you expect that uh, health care is going to be the key issue in 2020? Yes, it's part of the New Green Deal by Alexandria Occasional Cortex. That's my pet name for her. Uh, so they want to do Medicare for all, ignoring the fact that the Medicare trust fund, which covers 40% of Medicare, uh, funds is going to be out of money by 2026, but they want to expand it from 716, uh, from 44 million people to 330 million people. And there's no explanation on how we're supposed can to do I that. I have a, a few ideas, there, by the way. Just, can I ask you? I'm a, sure. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, Steve? Yeah. I thought that, uh, a big problem uh, especially in the aftermath of John McCain voting against the no abolition, was yeah. that the Republicans did not have an affirmative plan on health care. Do, totally yeah. uh, do you think that they will be able to put out something that looks like an affirmative health care plan? Have you read The Jungle by Epsom Sinclair? Because it kind of has, resembles that. The, the BCRA, which was a Senate version of the, of the American Health Care Act, is one of the best health care pieces of legislation I've ever read, and I've read them all. It would have uh, uh, brought back a lot of the insurance companies we've lost. People don't understand this, but right here in Chicago, there are hundreds of thousands of people who cannot get access to Northwestern Memorial Hospital, University of Chicago Medical Center, Rush University Medical Center, take their sick children to Lurie Children's Hospital because they have to buy individual health insurance policies. And since Obamacare, late 2014, all of those hospitals stopped taking any individual health insurance plan, not even those offered by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. So even we were promised by our former dear leader that if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Not in Chicago and not in many parts around this country after the, the loss of 88 health insurance companies. So to answer your question, Charles, it was an outstanding piece of legislation that would have not only brought back all of these health insurance companies that we lost, but it would ensure the most important thing. Thank you. And that is that people who it have... It was a genuine question. It really yeah. was. I want to ask uh, Derek and, and Peter... Uh, is that the most important issue that you think Democrats should be uh, pushing in 2020, Derek? Health care, yeah. I mean, it's definitely at the forefront. Yeah, I would say. It's something that is uh, with the rising cost of health care. And, I mean, it, you're right. There is a, a limitation of access to these quality yes. facilities yes. Um, because of the inability to pay. And so, if I may, you know, with Sanders' plan for Medicare for All, I mean, he explicitly outlines how we are going to pay for it. Um, now, I will concede there was something that came out about a week ago that I read that said there might be a trillion deficit every year for that plan. Um, but I said this on the last show, right? We're not allowed to be the greatest nation in the world and go around the world and say we're the greatest nation in the world and then, you know, say that we can't give our people health care. But anytime a conflict arises around the world, 
We're like, yeah, where's our checkbooks? Let's, let's, uh, let's get our credit cards out. Let's go to war with this country or that country for our interests. But it's not in our interest to pay for the health care for all of our citizens, which I Listen, think it should be. I, I had these debates 10 years ago yeah. when Barack Obama was telling everybody that we needed Obamacare to solve all the health care problems. Right. That was the great fix. What was the step? It was not the great step. fix. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's a step towards single payer, which will bankrupt this nation. They don't we, use that term anymore. It I tested mean, badly. Understand that under all these proposals, you lose private health insurance. Yeah, it's which, over. So, which is you are now completely relying upon the federal government, as are veterans in this country. As I am. It's the only single-payer system we have in this country. Right. Ask and any veteran, especially those up in years, right what they think about the Veterans Administration. Right, and it saved my life, okay? It, that's I went in that's there, great. But, listen, but that's the way the system works. I went in there. I had cancer. I told them on a Monday. I'm very happy. Thank you. I appreciate it. I told them. Monday night I found it. Friday morning it was taken out of my body, right? And that is how the system will work. It is based upon the need, right? So if you are, right, if you need surgery right now because you're dying of cancer, you will get the care that you need under no, that No, you will that not. Medicare there is system. documented evidence you, of veterans all over this country. You have an anecdotal story, which I am very happy to hear. Right. There are a plethora of examples of seniors, veterans in this country, who have lost their lives because, as Barack Obama told the man in the, in the uh, White House, whose mother was 86 years old and said she wanted hip surgery, he said maybe she should just take a pain pill. Peter. Yeah, so to go back to your question, I think that health care will be the most resident issue in the, uh, in the next election. I think it was really critical in the midterms. Um, you know, the, uh, the Obamacare, as you call it, was never intended to be the end-all reform of the health care system, which is a, a deeply flawed system um, in, in most, actually, uh, Western nations. But it's getting there. I think, you know, what, what Derek said, it, it strikes a chord with most people. Most people want themselves, their families, their neighbors to be yeah. able to access a yes. reasonable level of health care. Didn't the president, or the president has alluded on a couple of occasions, including in the State of the Union, about pre-existing conditions. Is yeah. that something that Republicans are going to absolutely, positively... I, could, I didn't finish with my answer no. to Charles. The, the, the law that was almost passed, the BCRA, the, the act that was the House version of the American Health Care Act, all it did was take the ideas in 1996 HIPAA law. Throughout that HIPAA legislation, 2742, 2741, it outlines how if you keep consistent health insurance coverage in place without a lapse of more than 63 days between your one job, which provides health insurance, and the new job, your pre-existing conditions are to be covered from the day you start on that plan forward. But that if something piece, happens, they are not. Your pre-existing coverage comes out, and that's why I think... No, no, they're not. No, no, no. Right. 173 million people in this country have group health insurance. Every one of them have pre-existing conditions covered. Without getting into the weeds, here's the way that I see it. First, um, something on the order of 80% of the people in the country are already happy or satisfied with their coverage. Therefore, the focus has to be on those who are not covered, and as soon as you start taking away from people who are happy, you get into real problems. Secondly, I don't think that for Republicans and for many in the center of the country, it is the overwhelming issue. It is one of the top four or five, Mm -hmm. but there is an issue of crimes and drugs and immigration. We are talking like there's an assumption that the economy will 
still continue to be rolling okay. along. If there is a recession, You're that totally, overwhelms everything. Totally so right. I think there are a lot so of it, issues. So when the president in the State of the Union, I mean, he, he went over a, a litany of issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, he talked about he, he wanting to cure childhood cancer and wanting to cure AIDS by the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, within, within 20 right. years. With $500 million for, for it and yeah, $5.7 billion for a boondoggle of a wall. Okay. Um, I mean, it's. Well, but you think? But you think uh, that hasn't been funded? Just for your information. No, but these yeah. are the requests, right? He's requesting yeah. five hundred million and re- for right. to cure children's cancer lot, and five point seven billion. A lot of these is a, issues is are pimple. symbolic yeah, politics, yes. and it's very troubling that we've moved into a world where so many of the issues are really done as symbols, and yes. in, including yeah. Yeah. the issue of the wall. It's a, it's a two sided symbol. Well, yeah, because we're, li- yeah, we're living we'll in an age where nuance is dead. Well paid. That's the well paid maternity leave if the president signs it will the will that be an issue that he can go to women, some of the suburban Republican women who turned on him in the midterms, and is that an issue that will make him a little less toxic uh, yeah toxic oh. to republican women I, I mean I could say he's a progressive uh you know person and, and progressive politically yeah i think it'll make it more appetizing to to some women but i think really what needs to happen and to answer your question earlier how are we going to fund this mm-hmm. um is there needs to be and I, I trust me it's not something i, I want to say or anyone wants to say but there needs to be a tax hike and i think that along with health care are going to be the 2020 biggest issues and i, I just want to point out one thing well they won't you know, be proposing that well, he won't, yeah. but the others Do will. Do you think Democrats will actually propose tax hikes? I, I mean, Elizabeth no is not a Democrat. I tune into I tune yeah. into, No, 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 but these are. Well, but yeah. we already had those, right? I'm talking yeah. about people who are yeah, running. Yeah, go, yeah. I'm talking Elizabeth about people Warren, who are running. For example, yeah. has already proposed yeah. a, what she calls or would be called a wealth tax. It would be assessed on households that have more than fifty million dollars in wealth. That smashes me. But (laughs) the the fact is there were about 12 countries in Europe that had that about 15 years ago. They're now down to four. It produces no revenue at all. It's just symbolic politics. It's it's very difficult to enforce because the assessment of, you know, how much money you have. So lawyers and accountants, full employment act. Well, so what about, like, I mean, you know, Warren Buffett a number of years ago said that his effective tax rate uh, was less than his secretary, right? Because his income is not derived from wage, uh, wage earnings it's derived from dividends and investments um, correct and investments right so it's so, not apples to apples right and so you know it's it, who it corrected that if, if who corrected little, that it, that was reagan reagan put the same tax rate on all of that and then what happens over time is the lobbyists come in and for both parties mm-hmm. they they whittle out little things, and but ordinary people are sure. furious I, I'm about with you, right? it. And so that goes into Citizens United and money being money being speech, right? Populism so will be a big deal in 2020 again. On both sides, on both sides, I think the populist ideas that will be most resonant are taxing the rich yeah. and healthcare. Not with thinking people, it will not be. When we come back, clearly thinking people did not put Trump in office. Oh, yes, they when, did. When I'll let you repeat that when we come back with the rich, complete microphone. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to let each of our guests give a grade to the recent State of the Union address, and we're going to talk about some problems with the National Enquirer and Steve Bezos. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, 
but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. My apologies to Steve Bezos, uh, whoever he is. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, you know, there, there used to be a guy, a baseball fan, there used to be a guy, I think his name was Steve Bezos, and I think he played for the Kansas City Royals, oh, third I, baseman. I think he did Jeff a favor by keeping his name off the airwaves for oh, a few seconds. That's true. What, uh, let's turn to the barrister here. Uh, what is your take on, uh, you know, on this controversy involving uh, Jeff Bezos and uh, Mr. Peckler and uh, the National Enquirer and uh, Am I? Uh, everything else? Um, I mean, I think um, uh, Jeff Bezos was I played it as well as he could. He got in front of it. He basically fronted everything and got way ahead of AMI. He published the emails exchanged between AMI and, and his folks. Um, I think it exposed uh, something, an important kind of muckraking that we, you know, the public generally don't see. Um, I think it's an unfortunate situation for him. But when you send lewd photos of yourself to your mistress, it's always a possibility someone else will be seeing yeah. them. So I'll take your word. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. So I hear. <laughs> so I think, uh, I mean, he did the right thing in a tough situation. Steve? I, I, I just thought all these men learned from Brett Favre. You oh. do not send pictures of your genitalia. Twi- they don't even like it. Wait a minute. Let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Genitalia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I knew her once. <laughs> Yo, so uh, does this have a political ramification or not? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What is it? it, how, t- take, it take it to the end. Well, first of all, uh, the... The real, the political connection here is that Bezos owns the Washington Post, right. which has been staunchly anti against Trump, and uh, and, and Pecker, David Pecker right. of uh, AMI, uh, which owns uh, the Enquirer, uh, has been until fairly recently pro-Trump. And it looks as if this was standard operating procedure for the National Enquirer, and that they've done this before. So there is a question, but there's a legal question whether it is actually blackmail. Do you think it is? It 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 looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck to me. Do you think it's blackmail? I mean, I think... um, Extortion. You know, extortion. I think it's extortionate behavior, and I think AMI has a long and and storied history of these sorts of tactics and hiding under the kind of veil of, you know, free speech or the press, et cetera, which lets them get away with with a lot. Um, Their history, by the way, is also very close to the American intelligence community. They've worked very closely with the American intelligence community for 30, 40 years. All these stories that come out about politicians that destroy careers, a lot of them come out of the intelligence community. What's your take on on the messiness of this story, and does it have any uh, political political legs? Yeah, well, I mean, of course. I mean, people are making connections between uh, the slain journalist, Khashoggi, and uh, the Saudis, and like a backdoor to Trump and this, you know, network of people that are running the world, right? And, yeah, yeah, so... and. 
but I want to give credit where credit's due, and uh, Bezos uh, masterfully, you know, kind of stuck us a pen in there. I've got to say, yeah. though, if you look at the front page of the Washington Post, which I do all the time, I subscribe to it online, mm-hmm. and the New York Times, the, uh, the line between what counts as hard news reporting and opinion right. has just been completely obliterated. Have you ever tuned into Fox News? Because they're in the same... Well, uh, yeah, but they the don't pretend is, to be journalists. The fa- and the fact is, Not on this, on uh, going back to Virginia for just a second, the same issue occurred. Northam was talking about fourth trimester abortions. He was talking about killing children after yeah. they had been well, born. And the reason his yearbook stuff came out is that that so appalled some of his medical school classmates that they reported the information about the yearbook. So there was a connection there. That got no coverage at all mm-hmm. in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was well, just... It, 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 it was a main story for about three days, and it got quickly dashed away because there were, there were, there were members of, of Democrats on the Hill. They didn't want to talk about Northrum. They didn't want to talk about that issue. Mm-hmm. Because they, well, under, I'm talking about the abortion under, issue, not the no, no, not no, no, the no. black I'm talking yeah. about the abortion issue. There yeah. were people being attempted to be interviewed on on, on television, and the Democrats were not responding, including presidential candidates. Sure, they were running away from the microphones because they didn't want to take a stand on the controversial uh, position Absolutely. on abortion. Absolutely, and, and that's almost, fine, and I find that appalling. I'll tell you one thing: the 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 blackface almost made it easy for them. How because can, because that's because if the Democratic Party had been that's stuck right. with that position, I think it would have been a difficult position for them to defend in a national presidential election. Now they've got Do two states. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean it's tough to talk about these things. Whether and because it's you're you're trying to like for instance the he may have done a lot of really good things legislatively, right? That people like, right? And or right. they he, don't want him. Uh, Northam, North the governor, mm-hmm. right? And, North. and or there's the political a play where it's like, well, if all three of these top Dems got to go, we don't want the Republican next yes, in line, sir. right? But at the same time, you want to do what's right and to call a, a nefarious act a nefarious act. And so it's this really, really difficult discussion to have on a national stage for well, he, politicians. But again, the, 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 the Republicans, yeah. rightfully so, they went after Northam with, with the with his abortion position. Okay, right. that was the big story. Got it. And the president and then, put and then, it in State of the Union. Yes, Bruce. he did. He brought it up. Yes, so I mean, was, was five days later. But that was the issue. And then you know the the, the state uh, Republican uh, Party also then found these these issues, and they they basically, to some extent, they uh, they created the dilemma. To some extent, they threw Northam a, a lifeline. They were sort of getting him out of the, the mess with the abortion position, but then it was the blackface, and now it's the force of, of resignation, no. and then the cascade of things that are happening that it just made the whole, whole I th- thing. I think mess. there's a big dilemma surrounding women's rights and, and abortion, but it's not what Northrum said. we got to come back. I'll let you fill it in when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly with another hour.
Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. That's why I'm, that's why you I'm, could. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. We're back for hour uh, number two, and we've been talking, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, what happened uh, or what is happening in the state of Virginia, but I want to go back to that subject and, and, and get to uh, the issues of the lieutenant governor and, and the charges of, of sexual assault that have been leveled against him. And it, it brings up again... Uh, the issue of when a woman decides that she's going to bring a charge against a public figure. Um, Peter, should there be any kind of statute of limitations? I mean, a a woman uh, who obviously knew the lieutenant governor, knew when he was running for office, uh, said nothing, Mm. and now that he is about to be governor on his way to the governor's mansion, Suddenly, she realizes that he did something allegedly 
inappropriate with her several years ago. Is that, is that fair to him? And, or what does it say about her? I mean, I think these sorts of uh, crimes and actions are, are really uh, obviously raise some difficult questions. One of them is the fact that these present women um, with a big challenge of coming forward. A lot of stigma surrounds sexual crimes, sexual violence. Um, I know, you know, I can count, sadly, I'm, I'm, I need more than two hands to count the number of female friends in my life who've been the victims of some form of sexual assault that have never stepped forward. Um, because it's simply easier, you know, to them in, in certain situations to try to kind of lock it in and move on. Unfortunately, those create wounds that sometimes fester over time. Um, and as life goes on, I think p- women become and people become more wise and more experienced. And maybe they reach a point where they feel, you know, comfortable enough stepping forward. In uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax's case, um, you know, I don't know these two women. Obviously, I don't know what the facts are. I don't. I know. One allegation happened at the 2004 uh, DNC convention. Another happened when he was at Duke. We don't have all the facts, but I think these are credible uh, allegations, and I think they should be investigated. And if it turns out to be that they're um, substantiated with evidence or, or, or facts, then he's not fit. Do people running for office, regardless of their party, do they have to be vetted more strongly by either newspaper reporters, by journalists, by, uh, by political parties, uh, by professional oppo research people who really do a proctoscopic investigation of someone's background? Do they have to be greater more or more, more properly vetted, uh, yeah. Eric? No, I mean, yes and no. And I say no because I think we're, we're doing the wrong thing with politics. We're expecting people who have done nothing wrong in their entire lives to be the ones that lead us. And I'm not saying that people who do, like, really bad things in their past should, you know, be the front runners to, to lead and govern, right? But what I am saying is that most of the people in this country have some form of religion that they ascribe to, and that religion has some form of uh, forgiveness clause in there, if mm-hmm. you will. But when it comes to politicians, we're like, nah, none of that, none of that's a no-go, right? And so we have to remember that these are humans. And, uh, again, it, like I said earlier, it sucks that we don't have time for due process in this, uh, in this moment for these individuals, um, and I think that's a risk you take as a politician, that if you're 10 years into your career, something comes up that derails it, you have to make the right decision for your constituents, which more often than not would probably be for you to stand aside so that you can have due process. And then if you're vindicated thereafter, then you're vindicated thereafter. I, th- right? I think that one of the Charles. one aspect of all of this is that the Democrats, in attempting to take down Kavanaugh, quite openly abandoned the idea of innocent until proven guilty. And one of the people who did so was the former attorney general of Connecticut who had been the editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal, Dick Blumenthal. And uh, you had others uh, like the senator from uh, from Hawaii who openly uh, abandoned this. But I want to raise one other issue. Corona. The Washington uh, Post had this information, and it had more substantiation about it than about anything that they ran on Brett Kavanaugh, and they killed the story. Now, to me, that that raises very serious questions. Maybe they shouldn't have run this story, but if they shouldn't have, then they shouldn't have run the other story. There's got to be some sense of even-handedness, or else the papers themselves look like a wholly-owned subsidiary of a political party. They're not? Steve. (laughs) 
Uh, I'll just tell you, uh, I wish Peter's common sense level-headedness that he said earlier that all women should be heard, not all women should be believed. And yet that was the narrative, 24-7, 365 during the Kavanaugh hearings. Believe all women. And now they're hoisted by that petard. That is exactly right. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Um, But I I, I was going to say that, you know, I think people heard Dr. Ford's testimony. They saw her. um, And people are entitled to reach their own decision on whether to believe her or not. In my opinion, um, I obviously am a pupil of the Supreme Court history and I'm a huge, uh, obviously, fan of the Supreme Court and what it's done and how it's developed over uh, many, many, many decades. But I want my Supreme Court justices to be basically held to the ultimate high standard. And I think the fact that there was a credible allegation um, and I think the way – actually, I found the way Justice Kavanaugh came out and, you know, just – if he had come out and said, look, I – I had a lot of beers as a young man, and I may have done something stupid, but I could tell you that There's I'm no a father, I'm a even basketball coach, the woman. et cetera. There's no evidence he even met her. No and corroborating a evidence. number of people um, <clears throat> called for him to resign before she confronted him Correct. and he responded. So Correct. what you say is a reasonable position. Correct. I don't agree with it, but it's a reasonable position. But there were a number of people who were calling for him to resign but, and – Senator Feinstein had that information much earlier, and it could have been privately investigated, and she held it back. I think Senator Feinstein should have. She should have done so, but I think she, as she claimed, you know, she withheld it at the request of Dr. Ford, who did not want this to become a big public circus. Which well, then why did she release it later? Right. I don't believe that. I I don't. All politics. Hard to believe. By the way, on the subject, your your point about uh, about holding the Supreme Court. Uh, I was in uh, Florida over the weekend, and uh, uh, flying back last night, I saw the documentary RBG about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. Not the theatrical picture about it. Mm-hmm. This is the documentary, CNN documentary, and it uh, it's a terrific. I mean, yeah. e- oh, even, even if you disagree uh, with her politics or some of her decisions, I mean, this is an incredible human being. Every, everybody Absolutely. should take a look. One at One of that. my and, former students is in it. I thought her I saw granddaughter. that she passed away. Yeah, Clara. We had Clara and I had many conversations about her grandmother and her grandfather, who was an extremely distinguished lawyer. For several years before I realized that her grandmother was Chief Justice uh, was Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Has anyone seen her lately? She's okay. Are you sure? She's doing well. I want to go back to something you said when you said it's all politics, which is I think we could probably all agree about. Um, there are credible allegations out there and credible you know, evidence to support allegations, yeah. but the way these women's claims get politicized by both yeah. sides is appalling. Yeah. This is not what I think anyone wants to teach, like the, this generation of women, the next generation of women, their right. daughters. Right. All women should be heard, and credible claims should be vetted. And, and, and you also have a lot of lawyers. In the, in the case of Michael Abinati, I mean, he was out there with yet another story, and frankly, I think he... He, by getting involved, he made it worse for. A, Is he sleeping uh, with the fishes? We hadn't heard anything well, he, about that, this guy. His CNN he's, credentials got taken away or something because he's he was yeah. the next president. That's yeah. what I. Yeah. He, he was uh, no, but <laughs> he, he, there were charges against against yes. him. Against uh, him. And I, I, but I believe those charges of sexual assault have been dropped. Yeah, it was or sexual. I, and they I think were, it was they were just assault. assault. Domestic, yeah. Yeah. domestic violence against domestic violence. Bruce Dumont back shortly. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth, and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. 
leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago of the President of the United States is going to go to El Paso, Texas tomorrow. He's going to be at the wall. There's going to be a rally there. I'm sure he'll bring up the subject of the wall uh, as he's seeking to find a way to uh, keep the government open and also get some money to build the wall. Uh, George is listening to us in uh, El Paso on KTSM, one of our oldest affiliates, and he's calling in to share his thoughts. George, nice to have you with us. Good, thanks. I I am doing that. Um, The reason I'm calling is because there are so many voices here in El Paso who are so one-sided that you only hear one voice to any issue that pertains to the border wall. In in fact, the border wall has provided for El Paso that safety that it enjoys so much so that the El Paso Police Department does not patrol the streets at night downtown. In fact, I ran into an incident last night in which there was on the street speaking a black minister, and he was just voicing his religious views. And amongst him, around him, were a group of people, younger people, who were videotaping him and asking him questions, harassing him, bothering him, and nobody said anything about that. And I came upon them because I was coming back to Sacred Heart down here in uh, El Paso, and I approached him, and it wasn't for my having cussed them the way that I did. They would have continued doing that molestation of him. Well, you know, the, the, the president has said that uh, El Paso is now one of the safest cities in the United States. Again, you're talking about a specific incident, but again, uh, we've gone an hour and 15 minutes into this program, and we've not talked about the wall. It's but again, true. it's one of the key things that the president is still trying to address. Yeah. And uh, do you think at this point, uh, do you think the president, uh, I'm going to ask this to Stephen Tucker, do you think the president now is more concerned about making sure that the government not gets shut down again or coming up with the $5.7 billion that he really wants for the wall. If he's got a, if he's torn between those two conclusions, which one do you think he's likely to go with? Uh, he's going to fund the wall arbitrarily. The Democrats will not give him a dollar for the wall. Contrary to popular belief, thanks to local news reports, the wall has already been be- started being built right. last summer. So they just want to do improvements. Obviously, we're not going to have a wall from sea to shining sea. But there are areas where a bar- barrier wall is extremely important. So the president's going to get it one way or another. He doesn't have to declare a national emergency. He has the power. Barack Obama declared uh, 10 national emergencies, emergencies. Multiple presidents did before that time. This is not anything unusual. So I don't think we'll see another shutdown because the president will do what he needs to do to secure the American border. Do you think that's I, going to be the case, Peter? Yeah, I, I think that I think I mean, without agreeing with the intent behind it, I think ultimately the president will be able to, you know, get the funds via national emergency or something else. But I did want to point out one thing uh, or say, note one thing uh, about El Paso. So I just have a, a note here in 2008 before the border barriers had been set up. Um, in El Paso, the city had the second lowest violent crime rate among more than 20 similarly sized cities. And in 2010, after the initial fencing went up, it held its place. So, I mean, the 
crime-fighting potential of a wall is debatable, at least vis-a-vis El Paso. Is that I, true, or did you read that in the New York Times? It's true. It's I read true, and I'm happy piece. to source it for you so as well. I read the same the wall, I, I'm fake news, New York The wall that, uh, that Israel set up on the border with Sinai, where uh, people were coming in from Africa, I think there were 14,000 people who had come in across that border before they put up the wall. And after the wall was put up, they were under 20. The walls can actually work and can be done in... Uh, I, I but that was a very small... Yeah, right. that's a very, me, very small, small wall. But you know? let, let me between Tijuana and California, that's a huge wall. Sorry about let, Israel. Let me just oh, about Israel. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. let me just uh, say that, that I thought that the best way uh, to have handled this, if uh, for the Trump administration, was not an either or, but a both and. The Democrats are saying uh, we want all these different things to inter- interdict uh, people who cross. I would call it illegally, but they would say without documents, mm-hmm. or stay here after their uh, visas run out. And they, they put a lot of emphasis on that. And then Trump on the wall, I don't see why he just didn't uh, make them an offer that uh, they would have refused, but, uh, but it would have just been said, okay, let's do it all. None of it's I mean, very expensive, a frankly. A year ago, he could have gotten his wall um, in exchange for, you know, basically – getting through the dreamers issue but i think he woke up and saw fox and friends and they were you know down on that and the, he, the, the, the offered, issue the, the issue was chain migration twice. and i do think that there is an issue you raise an important right. issue which is do they want the issue or do they want a solution well the question is right. you, could they want the que- you could ask the question of both sides that's what that. i'm saying yeah that's yeah. What both saying. sides he said yes. that earlier like that there it's just to get Something. If they wanted to solve the problem, well, they would have accepted yes. no, DACA. I, yeah. no, right, all the ahead. proposals the president provided, yeah. DACA twice, Dreamers, all the stuff he offered, and Chuck and Nancy walked away. They don't I, want to fix I, the problem. I, I think they actually, want to roll I this into 20. So did Paul Ryan. So did Paul Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. He was I mean, the Schumer shutdown. And to, and Trump and to be honest, away. like, look. Like, no, it was a Schumer had, shutdown. Had Trump went further, had Trump, even to this day, if he goes further than I need pieces of a wall because if any of you have ever been down to the border, there are sections of walls that have been up for quite some time. And and I'm not on the side that walls are ineffective. They are traditionally very ineffective, though, unless they're really small. But we're talking about let's do little pieces of wall. Let's bolster the border patrol themselves. Let's let's make more numbers of those individuals down there. Let's do smart walls. Let's use the technology that we have. We have drones and all these other higher things. Immigration it's judges, like more higher personnel. It's more it's all more effective overall. But, but drones but really we don't like, stop yeah. anything. But today but it looked like the Democrats wanted were demanding but, fewer beds for violent criminals in exchange for part of the wall. They were demanding it was just crazy. Beds, fewer well, beds at ICE facilities because the fear is that ICE will gather folks who are not violent criminals. And and realistically, everyone is forgetting that the numbers are down. They've been down year after year after year. Less people are, are, as your term, illegally crossing. Well, that's true until the last year and a half. We've had a huge influx the last 18 months. It's gone down for quite some time. One of the things the president, he has been talking about uh, issues of national security. He's been talking about drugs, MS-13. He's got a litany of things as to why he wants to build the wall. Let's talk drugs. I, I, I want, let's talk about drugs. Let, let's spend the next couple of segments just talking about drugs. How bad is the drug situation, and how aggressive should, do you want Congress to be? Yeah. I'm going to turn to you. Yeah, Here. no, uh, in my lifetime, my short 33 years, uh, it is like coincided with... Uh, you know, the beginning of the war on drugs that Nixon started, yeah. that Reagan put out in the forefront. Explosion, yeah. Right? And so here's what I, here's what I know to be true. 
Over a 15-year span, Portugal decriminalized, essentially legalized, all forms of narcotics, right? And what they saw was in the year 2000, it was per million, there was 100 deaths related to drug overdoses or drug-related things, right? In that 15-year span, it went down to four. I'm not, I'm not making, that is four, from 100 to four per million, all right? So what they did was they shifted the idea between criminalization, where you're doing heroin, sir, you're going to jail. That doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. What they said was, sir, you're doing heroin, we're going to get you the help that you need, okay? And what that did was that changes the way that the society around them also looked at those people. So those How would you deal with fentanyl? With fentanyl? Well, again, here's the thing. If, I would, hold on, though. If, if I made fentanyl legal tomorrow, which it is actually, right? Because I can get it from a doctor, yes? If my doctor gives me fentanyl, I can take it, right? And which is it's, the first it, problem. But they've cut it's not, back it's on not the renewal of the prescriptions. Well, under, That's the problem. Under care of a physician is yep. what I'm saying. Okay, right. so, but yep. if I made heroin legal tomorrow, would you do it, sir? Oh, you no, know, which, in a heartbeat. No, no, really. yeah. yeah, in a heartbeat. Right. I've been looking for a good heroin supplier. <laughs> the professor supplier. is obviously on it right now. Yeah, so what, Charles, where I'm going what, with that Charles, is... Charles, the yeah. people yeah. may have lost the irony, so... Yeah. Clarify. Oh, oh, would you would you do it tomorrow if it were legal? What you mean? Uh, yes or no, Mr. Whitaker? Oh, i that one. Answer the question, <coughs> Mr. Whitaker. Don't put words in my mouth, yeah. Bruce. No, right. I'm not and looking no. to do. Yeah, of course you're right. You know where I'm the, going with that, though. My right? point. My point no, ab- yeah. about this is, uh, I personally think that there's a lot to be said for decriminalization, for needle exchanges. I'm all in favor of that. And I think there's another very big problem that we have basically uh, gutted our inpatient mental health system. So yes. a lot of the people who oh, yeah. are on the streets and who are druggies are people who who ought to be getting our, inpatient look, service. Here's the question, Peter. I'm going to Peter and Steve. Are we at a point in this country... Where being tough on drugs, not a war on drugs, hmm. but being tough on drugs is not the politically popular thing to do. Stephen? Uh, I would say for any parent whose child was found in the snow, frozen to death by abuse of any opioid, especially fentanyl, uh, it's going to be an extremely important issue. For the rest of the, the country who has not had a personal exposure to this kind of uh, tragedy. I don't know that it's the top of the priority list. It's going to come uh, up because Bill Barr is himself very tough on it. In the same way is, that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that uh, Jeff Sessions was, I think that yeah. most people are where you are, Derek. I mm-hmm. think that they're what they really want is some solutions that they they're not ideological on the drug issue anymore what they want to see is less addiction less pain peter what, what about you by the yeah. way we should mention for those listening on the radio uh you've identified yourself as 33 years old there, i am right? 33 yes okay peter you're mid-30s aren't you not yeah 38 okay so my question, i identify as 33 well, well, we have, yeah true story we have we have two guests this evening who are in their 30s and we have two guests this evening who are older than that. Uh, I'm not going to go say how old you are. You're, you're probably the second oldest person at the table. I'm probably the oldest. But my question to you is, if you're, you're 33 and you're 38, the people that you know, and I'm not asking whether they're drug users, mm-hmm. but they probably have smoked marijuana at some point in their lives. Oh, yes. And there is a sort of a laissez-faire attitude about drugs. Mm-hmm. Oh. So if, if someone is running for sheriff or U.S. senator or president that's tough on drugs, you are going to be less likely to support them, are you not? 
I mean, you could be tough on drugs, but what I'm looking for more than anything else is do you have a sensible drug policy, a sensible approach that makes sure the maximum number of people in America are safe, and if they choose to have marijuana in their system, they could do so safely, and they're taxed on it. So I'm just looking for sense. And they the want one, the gu- drug gangs. Yeah, of course, yeah. They want I MS-13. Want that, I, I want to I I come that back and now talk security. about, I want to I hear from our over-30s as well. Uh, <laughs> Way over 30. When we come back. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Back in Chicago, we continue our conversation. Now let's go to our over 30s. Uh, on the issue of, of drugs, do you think people of your generation, within your sphere of influence, and, and you may have friends that, that occasionally partake of, of drug recreational drugs as well, but... Is your generation looking for people that are tough on time? Do they want do they want the return of a, of a Nancy Reagan approach to fighting drugs? They don't think it worked. And remember, my generation. If uh, I'm I'm uh, older than Steve, my generation was late sixties. Uh, the Beatles and yeah, you know you were uh, all strung out. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, geez, you, you know, you could get high from secondhand smoke in college where I was. So I think people are pretty flexible. The thing that's hard to take us as representatives is that attitudes differ depending upon whether you're an urban or rural, whether you're highly educated, not highly educated, race may matter. My sense, though, is that more people are practical about this than ever before. They just want to see people not strung out. Steve, is this this a position where um, if you ask people their position on drug legalization or making marijuana recreational, is this a big difference between what it means to be a Republican and a Democrat? Is that one of the reasons why the Democrats may be more successful in reaching out to younger voters, voters, minority voters? How much of that may be related to Republicans tending to be more rigid on drug-related matters? Yeah, I think historically they are. But, I mean, you look at uh, the large swath of the Trump base. Many are libertarians. Yes. Libertarians have been pro-pot, pro-marijuana, and legalization of it for a very long time. We may soon, in Illinois, have legalized Mm -hmm. marijuana usage. I know sick people with multiple sclerosis who use derivatives of marijuana to alleviate their pain. 
So I don't think that's even on the blip with most people. I think it's illegal but, immigration. So, right. but, but, when you're, but when you're talking about then, then moving it to the next step, when the president is out there, I would say, sort of saber-rattling about that he wants to build the wall because he wants to stop the flow of drugs into the United States, mm-hmm. is, is that playing well? If you have Republicans in his base or libertarians in his base that aren't looking to have a crackdown on drugs because they, they want their marijuana or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and then you've got Democrats who are younger and you know, younger and hipper and, and yeah, of a generation where Trump, they Trump isn't talking care. about marijuana, though. He's not talking about marijuana or Thank MGMA you. or psilocybin. He's talking about, like, life-ending fentanyl. But right. I think like Bruce is but correct. I, but I, big no, but jump he, for marijuana. No, but he uses the big word drugs. Yes. It is. Right. He uses drugs, and then he says fentanyl. Yep. Because that, that's, that's the buzz drug right now. Like, that, you even asked me about fentanyl. Right. That's the buzz. So but remember the, when it was Well, crashed? we had the that's largest the, bust the ever two yeah. weeks ago But, on but the he border. still talks yeah, about okay. fentanyl. No, you're, you're right. Which he, was that and I think, I think yeah. for some people, they're going to hear that, and I think it's going to conjure up kind of the, you know, non-hip old, you know, Nancy Reagan, like, just say no. But for most thinking people and thinking voters, that's not even – I mean, that's not – I would love to make that argument that well, this guy's Sonny, anti-pot. Well, anti-pot. Sonny, let me tell you a couple of things here. And the thing I want to say is that – I do think that while uh, the drug issue may not be super salient, I do think that uh, the a lack of a uh, the, the the Republicans' identification with a number of socially conservative issues are off-putting to highly educated people, many of whom have fled Connecticut and New Jersey and so forth because of taxes, and they've made states like uh, North Carolina, possibly even South Carolina, now Texas, uh, into purple states. And I think a lot of that has to do with a number of social issues, though not necessarily drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Look, goes back to legalization. I mean, you take the the reason why there the reason why there is so much money behind uh, going through our checkpoints with these drugs, like that big fentanyl bust you just spoke about, is because it's profitable, right? right? And that that profitability brings crime via via the via the black market. Sure. So you know, part of legalization is not just so everybody can get all you know hopped up and have a great time. It's it's that's a literal way that we can reduce crime. We can give the the tough on crime people what they want. It's just. It's really sad that they want to be tough on crime, but, the, but they're missing the mark. Imagine a piece could of legislation. Do that. We could do it. So when you say that, you just imagine a piece of legislation with a preamble like a bill to get everyone hopped up and party all the time. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, it's problem, not that. It's, the, apparently, the, the power, problem with yeah. fentanyl is that once people have used it for a while, besides the fact that it's very addictive, right. the effects reduced, and then they go to a synthetic heroin. Right. Uh, and uh, it's very easy to overdose and die. Right. So, that. But, but yeah, yeah, during, during, this, during this period when you have municipalities like Chicago and around the country uh, that are talking about recreational drugs, whether it is the state of Illinois where it's mm-hmm. been discussed with our new governor uh, or on you know, Colorado, obviously, uh, and Washington State and a variety of California, where, where that is now the issue is the, the, the person who, who – does not partake of that and views that there is a potential downside to society, mm-hmm. they're wasting their time. They're, they're trying to convince a public, a public mm-hmm. that doesn't want to hear the evidence yep. because they've already dealt with it. They don't think that marijuana is a gateway drug or right. marijuana yeah. is going to affect the, the brain yeah. cells of a, a teenager. Yeah. So they're rejecting, they're rejecting all of science because of their political 
desires mm-hmm. or be, uh, because of their, the, their it's, generation. It's that, like when he was talking about, uh, off, we were talking about the mask, right? You were saying there was a Twilight Zone where someone was wearing a mask and they wore it for so long yeah. that that's what they wear now. Right. And that's exactly I mean, what you just described. Someone who's been parroting these ideas for 10, 20 years of their political right. career, and now it, they can't say anything contrary because they'd lose their, their voting uh, base. That's right. But it doesn't, it, doesn't, they can't stand up to it, yeah. it doesn't deter from the validity of the issue. No, it does not. Right? I mean, we, we have marijuana. There is forms of marijuana, dibs, which is a pure, pure dibs. form. Dibs. dibs. Sorry, I'm, I'm too old. But whatever it is, it's, it can be very deadly, and especially in a young, growing mind. I don't know that anyone's died from a dab. I don't think there's any reported marijuana-related deaths. But, but young I've minds been, are susceptible I've been, I've been to interviewing, damage. Not so much older minds, but I have younger been interviewing minds. candidates for mayor of Chicago. And by the way, if you go to Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont, uh, the Facebook page, uh, you will see some of the recent one-on-one interviews that I've done with candidates. And virtually in the, in the five to six that I've done, virtually everyone, that, with the exception of Gary McCarthy, everyone is for legalization. People should know McCarthy is the former is, police commissioner. Police commissioner. But yeah, the, only one, the only one that brought up the subject of that, that still she is aware of the potential dangers to a young mind mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even Coca-Cola and so yeah. they, these have detrimental effects. Sugar. Anything in the developmental yeah. stage of a, a human or yes. whatever there. But I was going to say, this is dr- like the war on drugs and drugs. This is such a golden opportunity for bipartisan yes. progress. Yeah. We could take a, we have decades of studies on marijuana, THC, yeah. and we could say, look, this is going to be no well, more harmful. One of the most. It was one of the most effective parts of uh, Trump's State of the Union when he pointed to the woman who had a nonviolent drug offense and had been in prison for something like 20 years. It was a a very touching moment. moment. And it could be be an opportunity for for, um, global recognition once again as a leader in the world, right? Because the drug policies around the world pretty much stemmed from – what was started with Nixon? I mean, not I, only that. Canada this, has changed. Uh, do, does anybody Canada know made, what kind of evidence we're getting from the changes in Canada? Yeah, everyone's chill and having a yeah, great I mean, time. But and they like, weren't chill in Canada you know, before. I mean, so they, they were already yeah, quite now, as good like, as hockey. The criminal, as they used the to criminal be. justice, yeah, the criminal no. justice reform act, which you know, every time I've talked about it, I said that was started. That was an effort between Obama and Durbin that has been carried over. But I'm happy with the result. That you could achieve so much criminal justice reform if you take a look at what the controlled substance are and you have a sensible drug policy and if you have a sensible drug policy you take out a lot of folks you probably shouldn't be in jail and you make yeah. them members well, well that's that's something that that during during the, the the long deliberations and you're right Durbin was involved with it and and Trump and and, and Dirt, Jared Kushner has been a, has been a, a key a cog in the wheel here I mean they've gotten Republicans and Democrats to agree uh, and a lot of it has to do with drugs and the people who are in jail for uh, in prison mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for drugs, and that's part of the. They're, they're now trying to you know come up with the, that's the first chance act. They're now beginning to come up with uh, working on, on the on the second chance act. They want to expand on it. The, the, but uh, the original draft, the first step act that um, was drafted under Obama with Durbin, went much farther than this. And Senator Grassley had agreed to that version. Right. But here we are. So I, I would like to see this trend continue, and it's an opportunity across all presidents for bipartisan reform, and it's something we need. Right. And drugs is an easy place to yeah. fix it. But there's one thing, there's one thing I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that's, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the guy's last name, uh, Representative uh, Hameem, uh, number three or four Jeffries. Yeah, Jeffries. 
He was, along with, with, with Congressman uh, Collins from Georgia, they were the two guys that, that began working on this in the House. You mentioned Durbin and Grassley were working on the Senate. Mm -hmm. they, they've been working on this for years. Yeah. So the president signs it, what, six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago? On, on, the Martin, on Martin Luther King Day, Jeffries is giving a speech to his constituents, and he refers to the president as the, as the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And this is the guy that's now trying to author the, you know, the, the next step. Great. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Why do you insult the president of the United States after he has just signed, albeit a, a bipartisan mm -hmm. bill, mm -hmm. that probably is the most dramatic bill in, in criminal justice reform in 30 years? Well, it's Why not, do you insult the president? It's not by just him. I got an email this week from somebody who is very well educated, Ph.D., all the rest. And the language uh, that this person felt viscerally about President Trump was just that strong. And I, I'm really struck by uh, the, the depth of the social divisions, and it goes beyond the people who are out front politically. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. TDS, yeah. Trump Derangement Syndrome. Back shortly. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. On, back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, during the break, uh, Derek, you were talking, you were singing the praises of Texas. You're originally from uh, yeah. Brownsville and uh, San Antonio. San Antonio. Yeah, we have a lot of listeners. We're very, this show is very big in Texas. Yeah. So tell everybody why you love Texas so much. Uh, well, firstly, I've, as I told everyone, it's the greatest country in America. Uh, <laughs> you all changed my mind, right? Um, no, Texas is it's a great place. Uh, I actually tell a lot of people here from Chicago, if they're asking, like, hey, I need, I need to go somewhere. I have a family, and living in Chicago is probably not best for my family. Mm -hmm. um, I send them to, to San Antonio or Dallas or somewhere down there. Both in, in my Texas. children live yeah. in Austin now. Yeah, you yeah, right. Adult children. Yeah. And they, they're, they're they young listen and, every Sunday night. They listen to us on KLBJ, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, We're very big in Texas. Austin's a cool place. Uh, Texas yeah, it Texas is. itself is a remarkable state, and the growth that's occurred oh, yeah. in Texas. And the big city, the four big cities in Texas, are so different one from the other. Houston's yeah. very different from Dallas, very different mm -hmm. from San Antonio. Yeah. Austin is, yeah. is closer to Madison or Ann Arbor yep. than it is to Houston. Yeah. So That's what happened to everyone in the, like the progressives and the liberals, if you will, um, from around Texas. Uh, they all eventually congregated because the UT mm -hmm. is in Austin, so it was like a hotbed of free thinking, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Question to you. We mentioned, uh, we promised last week, we didn't talk about it. 
Venezuela. You've written on the subject of Venezuela. Uh, what is your take, Charles? It's really striking. Uh, Trump, who's uh, largely pulled back from overseas involvement, has been very careful, actually, about Venezuela. He has uh, really ratcheted up uh, the economic sanctions, and those he's appointed a key point man, Elliot Abrams, mm-hmm. who's very knowledgeable well, and experienced. Exactly. Yeah. Old timer. Yep. He's an old timer, very experienced. And my sense is that what's going to, what's happening now, and we led the recognition along with a number of Latin American states. It's a true multilateral coalition, recognizing the alternative to the Maduro government. That is to say, the person who was elected by, in effect, their Congress. Uh, and not by the fraudulent election that turned in Maduro. What's happening now is can Maduro pay his military? As soon as he loses the military, he's out. And he's got support from Russia. He's got support from Cuba. He's got a little support from China and some others. Is he getting getting financial support? That's the key, Bruce. You put your finger right on it. I don't think. The Cubans don't have money to put in. Right. And the Russians can put in a little, but not enough to continually pay uh, the Venezuelan army. I would say that the real issue is not whether Maduro goes. I think it's quite likely he goes. I think the real issue is whether uh, they, uh, these outside forces plus the, the Maduro-Chavez people try to wage a guerrilla war and destabilize uh, the next government in the same way that the Russians have acted in Ukraine. Well, that's the thing. Like, why, you know, again, like, we keep doing this throughout history. We go into these areas of the world that, for whatever reason, we say up front that it's for, you know, helping humans and all this stuff. And, and don't get me wrong, what's, what's being done to the Venezuelan people by their leader is, is, is pretty ridiculous. Well, not, we're not right. leading this. Well, but, They're leading it. We're but just I'm, giving backing. Right, but as, again, as, as the global leader, yeah. right, our, our, uh, our opinion carries the utmost weight. And so everyone else kind of followed our lead, and we weren't there when these initial conversations were happening. Uh, what I want to say, though, is the same thing that happened in Iraq and is still happening in Iraq those remnants should have been a lesson for us with what's happening in Venezuela now. Do you understand? Because you yeah. just said it. The vacuum could happen, and now it's a power struggle, and more people are dying. And we, sh- we and I'm not, um, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I think the, you know, the whole, t- I think from the Arab Spring, and you, we should know by now that if you topple kind of a military strong man or woman, um, although there weren't any in the Middle East, obviously, you leave a vacuum that gets filled with the next strongest force. Correct. I think to what yeah. you said is obviously, um, particularly in South America and the Americas generally, the Monroe Doctrine has for a very long time kind of guided what America allows, you know, the other powers, traditionally European powers, mm-hmm. to do in South America. I'm just curious um, what you think. What, what is it about Venezuela that has caused – because there's plenty of other stuff going on in South America that yeah. Trump's been silent about. What, what about this has, has caused Trump to kind of take this stand? Well, first of all, I, I think that the issue came up independently of him. There was there – was, uh, you could see that the Maduro government was beginning – uh, to collapse, so I think he just moved in on uh, the issue. I don't think that he's made any commitment to have more than a handful 
of troops, which you could imagine would yeah. be there to protect leaders and maybe do special ops. But uh, I, my sense is that Trump is going to be very careful about an on-ground commitment. There's one other country we should be aware of. There have been a huge uh, involvement by uh, Chavez and Maduro with Iran. Iran has filtered a lot of people into that area. There, it's a okay, really bad there, actor. That, that is partially true. There are, there are a number of Iranians in that area, but it's not to the degree that's been reported. But also what I would like to say is there are some rumblings of another multinational oil corporation funded uh, thing going on in this region, right? So the commonality between what happened uh, in the Middle East with Iraq uh, is kind of happening again now, and there are some oil interests behind it. I don't again. think that oil was the, was the, was the issue the, in was Iraq. The John Bolton, was yeah. the John Bolton uh, note on his legal pad, was that a mistake or a deliberate? Ooh, good question. Normally, I think he knew exactly. Yeah. I think he knew exactly. I think he knew exactly. He did it on purpose. Yeah. That's ridiculous. He was a classmate of mine, but we didn't know each other. Really? Yeah. We're going to tell that story the next time you're with us. You're going to tell you're going to tell us all the things you don't know about <laughs> Charles Lipson and Stephen Tucker. They have been on the right side of our table this evening, and uh, uh, Peter Addis and also uh, Peter uh, Peter Hanna and Derek Addis have been with us. Uh, repre- I don't want to say representing the left, yeah. representing the younger generation, the young folks. Our program this evening is produced by Genevieve <laughs> Production. Uh, thanks to Sam Greenberg and Fritz Goldman for their assistance in the production of the program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference, now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. 
Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.